us off last week, calling it a weighted king. Um, and it's, it's great for me. It's, it's really a relief after our, I think, important and, and good nine-week series on sexuality and the body that we did previously. Kind of glad that's over because now we just get to talk about Jesus. I love, as a pastor, just being like, you know what? You know what's a good topic? For 40 minutes, like Jesus. Just talk about Jesus for 40 minutes. And that's what we get to do at Christmas. We get to think about who Jesus is. It's amazing. But, you know, sometimes it's easy as, as Christians, and I can say this 100% for my own self, even as a pastor, it's easy to forget about Jesus. It's easy to, to stop, like, being amazed at Jesus. It, 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 it's, it's common. Uh, Simon Ponsonby uh, he's a British guy. Um, he, he, he says this, there are times when it is as if Jesus is taken from us into the clouds and he appears to be somewhat distant. And many of us face times of attrition in life, periods of intense temptation to sin or disappointment in the church or spiritual inertia or just plain weariness. And in these times, we can drift away from the Lord, from our first love. It's as if Jesus no longer thrills us as he once did. Anyone relate to this? Like if you've been walking with Jesus for a period of time, you know that this, this king that you've been awaiting, like this Jesus who you found life in, like following him is, is, is sometimes an interesting experience. Not because he's not faithful, but because sometimes we don't know how to see him and behold him and, and live into this calling that we have super well. And I feel this, I mean, even as a pastor, as a person whose full-time job <laughs> it is to, to talk about Jesus and to tell other people about Jesus, I, I spend considerable amounts of time during my week uh, preparing these messages to talk about Jesus and share Jesus with people, but it is, is absolutely possible for me in the middle of all that work to lose sight of Jesus and to stop being amazed by Jesus. And so if it's, this is my job, and I have all the time made available, like, of course, like, for anyone, like, like just you all, he, whose, whose job this isn't, right, it, it can be easy for you to lose sight of Jesus, too. Sometimes it can feel like the king that we worship is far away, which is strange when we consider the things that we've been thinking about, right? that Jesus' kingdom is, in fact, present. He calls it a kingdom that is in our midst, like we talked about last week. If this king that we've been waiting for, right, and that we're worshiping is here, and he, he makes himself like wildly, radically, almost crazily available to people, opening up his kingdom by his grace, how is it, why is it that we feel sometimes this way? Like we're still waiting on him. Like we still haven't gotten to the place where he's arrived into our hearts and where we're like living fully into the kingdom, into this experience of, of, of life and peace and joy that is the promise of the Christian calling. Well, last week I, I left you with a thought, which I think helps sort of explain the situation that we find ourselves in. And, and it's a simple thought, but I like it a lot. I've been just kind of flipping it over in my brain a lot this, this week. And it's this, this, that hope takes practice. I really think that's true. Hope takes practice. We might think hope is easy, but I really do think hope takes practice. And, and I would just like to encourage you to consider that again today because Jesus uh, makes it really clear, right? The kingdom is open. We have access to the kingdom on the basis of Jesus' forgiveness, his sacrifice on the cross, which he makes available to us by grace. 
Simply his goodness reaching out to us, and we can respond to that by faith. That's all we need to do, just, just respond by faith. But that's the practice of hope, is faith. Putting our actual expectation and hope in what he promises and in, in, in seeing it lived out. Because he's done all the work, and the only thing remaining for us is to respond in hope and faith. But that hope takes practice. We enter in and we experience the joy promised to us, the life promised to us. We experience it in a day-to-day basis as we practice our hope, as we put our faith into practice and make it actual. I I can talk about Jesus all I want, and and I do. I I have that privilege. You can talk about Jesus all you want, and and I hope that you do. I hope you spend time talking to people about Jesus. But in the end, hope takes more than talk. Hope takes practice. Practice is the work of taking what you say you believe and living it out. It's true of all things. It's not like faith is something that we don't have to actually live into. If we, if we, we, what we confess to be true, what we confess to put our hope in and our faith in, it's going to work its way out into practice, into the practical side of life. So if you believe in Jesus, this, this awaited king... If you believe that he has come and established this kingdom by grace, by offering himself as a sacrifice, by making, uh, opening up the kingdom, by bringing the kingdom to our midst and making it so radically available to us, then how does that change your life? How does that faith, that hope, that expectation, that trusting of what Jesus has done, how does that impact your day-to-day living? That's the question. Because it's, it's, it's an important part if we're going to understand how we practice hope. But before we get there, like get to the practical side of hope, I think we need to be clear about what it is we are hoping in, right? And maybe this is repetition. I hope you've heard this before, but I just want to present to you kind of the substance of the gospel, the substance of our hope. See, what we know about Jesus and what is just, just wild and, 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 and shocking, and we especially like see it play out in the Christmas story, is that this little baby who was born... He's not a a small person. He's, in fact, a very important person. This isn't a a small local story limited to Bethlehem, but it's, it's a big story. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection is a big story. It's relevant to all people at all times. He was not just the awaited king awaited by the Jews, awaited by the religious establishment who had been expecting this king, but, but Jesus' life is more significant than that. It is cosmically significant, universally significant. Jesus is not just relevant, him as a person, he's not just relevant to the context of ancient Israel. Jesus is the awaited king of all of creation. At least this is what the Bible claims that he is. I like how Leslie Newbegin explains it. You know how I like Leslie Newbegin. He says this. He says, The Bible is unique among the sacred books of the world's religion in that, it, in that it is in structure a history of the cosmos, that is, the whole universe, everything that is. It claims to show us the shape, the structure, the origin, and the goal, not merely of human history, but of cosmic history. The Bible, this book that points us to this awaited King Jesus is a book not about the religious experience of a small group of people in the ancient Near East. It's a book that claims to be about the history of everything, the context and the meaning of everything, the whole universe, its significance. The Bible claims to to, to animate that and express it. 
And the Bible puts Jesus right into the center, right as the hinge point of all history, the significant person, the most significant person in the whole world. Colossians, uh, but Paul talks about in, the, in, in Colossians 1, he really, he really drives the point home. He says this, he, referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. What Paul explains, and he's pressing into this idea, is he's making big claims about the person of Jesus, who Jesus was, how significant he was, and his language, right, this, 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 this kind of paragraph here, his language is intentionally comprehensive. He's trying to make a comprehensive point about the significance of Jesus. And, and the effect is that we could ask the question, is Jesus king of whatever, fill in the blank, my life, my workplace, the nations, you know, my money, someone else's money, you know, the spiritual realm, Whatever the thing is, is Jesus king of fill in the blank? What Paul is trying to, to, to answer is the question, is trying to make it clear, yes. Whatever blank you could fill in there, whatever thing you could put in the blank, he's trying to say Jesus is king of all of it. He is the most significant person in the whole world. The whole world is subject to him. He's the beginning of all hope the substance of all hope, all of history, and, and all purpose, and all goodness, and, all, and everything that could be, it all is just about him and points to him. He upholds it all. He's in it all. He's over it all. He is king of it all. The answer to whatever blank you could fill in is yes, he is. He is over it all. Anything that you can imagine, Jesus is king over it. That's the point. Uh, Abraham Kuyper, I think he was from like Denmark, but he was the prime minister of Denmark, but also a Christian. He says this, there is, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That's what Paul's trying to say, that everything that is, it belongs to Jesus. Jesus is first among it. He has authority over all of it. But even, even beyond that, I think Paul is making an even further point that he's also king of invisible things, spiritual things, anything like even beyond our, our, the things that we can see. The whole spiritual realm and any, everything in it, Jesus is king of that too. We do not hope, we do not have, we have not put our hope in a small king or a small kingdom. Jesus makes big claims. The Bible makes big claims about who Jesus is. And Paul goes on to explain like, okay, which we understand the, the person, his comprehensive power and authority. Paul goes on to exp explain what all that power was for, the purpose of it. First Corinthians, uh, sorry, sorry, Colossians 1.19, he says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus' life, his birth, his death, his resurrection, all of it had a purpose. The, the most powerful, most authoritative, most, 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 
important person in the whole world, God himself took on flesh with the purpose to bring about reconciliation of creation to God, to bring a reuniting, a restoration, a reunion, a reconnection of a, of a broken, sinful world with its Savior, with God, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That was why he came. And that, that peacemaking work has a real practical effect on those who have decided to put our faith, our hope, into practice. Because we, we come into a relationship with God on the basis of faith in what he's done. Paul goes on. He says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now what he's done is he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and you're not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The gospel, the substance of our hope, the thing that we hope in, the good news is this pronouncement, this proclamation of what Jesus has done. He's done it. Jesus has made peace. Jesus has come, taken on flesh, offered himself up as a sacrifice for sin on the cross. And the effect of that is a cleansing. He's taken the hostility and the alienation and the brokenness of sin. He's paid the price for us and reconciled us to God, cleansing us, making us holy, blameless, faultless, or in a word, forgiven. Most powerful person, the center of all history, the most important person under whom all the authority of the world rests has come to die for our sake to make peace so that we might be, have forgiveness and a new hope. That is the hope of the kingdom that Jesus came to unleash and welcome us into. He invites us to put our hope and our faith in that work, that gospel. Anyone can come in, anyone can put their faith in Jesus, and anyone can have the life of God within them. That's the promise. But that hope, it takes, it takes practice. That's not a contradiction. Anything that I actually believe in, that I actually have faith in, that I actually trust in, I will practice. The hope of the gospel is one of those things that we can, can have but it's also easy for us not to make use of it. Something that we, we, can, we can possess, but we, we, don't, we don't make use of it. Paul's encouragement is that we would, he says, remain grounded and steadfast in the faith. Put your hope into practice, in other words. Don't be shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. Keep Focusing in on it. Keep directing your life, your hearts, your mind, your worship, everything you have towards the practice, the belief, the faith, the building up of this hope. Practice this hope. See, Jesus has done the work. He's brought about the substance of our hope. But our job, the thing that we're called to do is to put that hope into practice. One of my favorite things about living in, in western Washington um, is it's you. Second favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is. No, that's true. That. That's true. 
I was going to say something frivolous, which is that I like to ski. And that's one of my favorite things about living in western Washington. You know, we live in Snoqualmie now, and it's like 23 minutes when it's not a blizzard. Uh, it's, like, it's like very close to skiing. It's great. Um, and we went, we, 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 you know, when we moved here, we said, you know, we're, we're going to ski. It's going to be great. You know, we have, I, I moved here from Connecticut. We, we have skiing on the East Coast, but I, I like to call it, it's more like downhill ice skating, right? If you've ever, you ever been, it's not fun. I don't know why we do it, but because your parents made you. That's why you ski on the East Coast. Your only reason. Otherwise, you go somewhere else. Um, but here, it's actually kind of enjoyable. Um, so I've been really looking forward to skiing and getting into skiing again. You know, we haven't, like, Molly and I haven't, like, skied, like, for, like, 10 years because we had children. Also a very challenge, uh, a challenge there. So, so anyways, I really am excited about skiing. Um, so, like, we got into it last year. But this year, I've decided, like, man, we're just going to go all in. I really, I really actually want to, I want to be, I want to get good at skiing, but not really good because I'm not really going to put the work in, right? But I want to be good enough. I want to be better at skiing. So, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and so I've, I've done the things, right? I've done the things. I, I bought the pass, right? So you need a pass to go skiing. So, so we have, we have passes, um, you know, I, I invested in some nice old used gear, you know, like, like I didn't know powder skis were a thing. Again, East Coast, never need them. There's no such thing as powder in the East Coast, but I got some powder skis, you know, I got some new boots. It's actually really complicated, <laughs> the whole buying of ski gear, and I've made a few mistakes along the way, but I'm really invested in it. I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to get up skiing often. Like, I'm, I mean, Molly and I, like, even we have the kids going up too, and, you know, like, we, we had a van, a two-wheel drive, you know, Honda Odyssey, for, and uh, we, we replaced that. We replaced it because it broke down. Uh, but, but we replaced it with, with something that's four-wheel drive. So now we can get up there. So, so we're all set. Like, we've got the stuff. We've got everything we need. We've got the car. We put a roof rack on because now we're in really serious gears. We've got a PNW sticker on the back, you know. <laughs> we're really le <laughs> we're leaning into this whole identity of being skiers. We're just embracing it. We're embracing it. It's huge. See, I'm ready to get better at skiing. I've got everything I need. The only thing I need to do is practice. I am not yet a good skier. Sorry. I've got to get out there and ski. I'm, I'm putting my hope in it, 100%. Like, I'm making the investments. I'm doing all the things that are necessary to actually become a person who gets better at skiing, right? There's just one thing left to do. I've got all the accoutrements of a skier. <laughs> That's just something a skier would say, wouldn't they? I'd say accoutrement, like a really great French word. I've got all this stuff. I've got all this stuff. The only thing left is I need to practice. See, I really hope that I can get better at skiing, but if I don't practice that hope, it will not make a difference. I will not experience it as making a difference. I might be a skier, fair enough, but I might not experience it. I might not experience the joy of skiing. In fact, if I don't practice the hope, right, if I don't practice this hope, actually what's going to happen is eventually I'm going to grow kind of resentful of all the stuff that's gathering dust in my closet and taking up space, and why did I spend money and invest that time? And eventually I'm just going to say, what was that even for? If I don't practice, make use of the stuff that I've been given, that I have, that I freely have available to me, everything that I need, if I don't make practice of it, then, then, then this hope is in vain for me to become a good skier. And forgive the analogy, 
But I sort of think that's how the gospel works in a lot of ways. In terms of the practical side of the gospel, in terms of getting past this kind of like feeling of that God is distant or the kingdom is far away. See, Jesus, again, forgive the analogy. I know it's a little pedestrian. Jesus has invited us to ski with him. Again, an analogy. Don't take that literally. Um, He's bought us all the best stuff. Everything that we could need, he's outfitted us. He's, he's really given us all the things that are connected with the identity of the skier. He's given us that PNW sticker and put it on the back of our cars. You know, we've really got all this stuff. He's even, um, he's even got us offering us lessons. He's inviting us to go to ski school, the ski school of discipleship, where we can really grow into this identity of being skiers and grow in our, our skill and our ability to ski and lean into this identity. And he's even promised us, he's going to make us awesome skiers. If we just keep putting our hope and our expectation in him, we have every reason to hope that we will become full of skiingness, (laughs) full of inability. He's doing all the work. He's paying the price. He's inviting us in. He's, He's training us up, equipping us for everything that we would ever want to do. I just have to show up. Galatians 3, 13 through 14 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles, that's us, non-Jews, by Christ Jesus, so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. The good news isn't that we can ski with Jesus. The good news is, Jesus died to forgive us of sin so that we might receive this blessing of life with him. The blessing of Abraham might overflow to us. And he's going to fill us with his spirit, with his very life, with his very self. We'll become new people as that happens. We will have new life in us as we just put our hope and our faith and our expectation and we practice that faith. Jesus died to give you a new identity. He died to make you new. He invites us to become new people, people who are totally caught up in this new kingdom that he's bringing about, who are full of his spirit, simply because we've received the goods that he offers us, the things that he's bought on our behalf. We just open hands, we take up that identity, and we live into it. But that hope, that faith, it takes practice. We have to lean into it. Jesus gives us a new identity, a new spirit, forgiveness of sins, adoptions as sons and daughters. But we practice that identity. We become, made, been brought into the family, but we have to live out the family identity. We practice our hope. Hope takes practice. So if you're sitting in this place and you're thinking, Christmas, what's that even for? Like, what are we even celebrating? We're celebrating the nearness of God, the fact that he's opened up the kingdom and he's adopted us in if we've put our faith and our hope and our trust in him. If we've turned away from the old self and said, I want to be this new person, this new person who's full of the spirit, this new person who is washed clean, made right, having received all the things that you've called me to, I want to be this new person. We, we put that into practice and there's at least... Three ways, I don't think this is a comprehensive list by any, any means, but three ways that we do that. First is we respond to love. 
we respond to his love, right? The gospel is the proclamation of what he's done to redeem the world out of love. This is about bringing my heart to the king. But it has a, has a basis. Scripturally, the basis is, is as explained in 1 John 4.9. It says this, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his, only, his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. You ever wonder what love is? Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Later on, he says, we love because he first loved us. So you want to practice hope. You want to you you put this into practice. You want to lean into this identity, this gospel identity, this new life that we have. We, we, we do so by, by kind of um, curating our hearts, by attending to our hearts, by bringing our hearts to the king. But we do that not by kind of drumming up love within ourselves because I can't make myself love anything. But what you can do is reflect on the hope. Reflect on what Jesus has done and why he's done it. He loved us. He sent his son to us to be an atoning sacrifice for sin. The basis of your love for God is what he's done for you already. And we need to dwell on that and think about that often to, to just lean into that hope, to respond to the love that he has made clear and proclaimed in the gospel by dying for our sake. We just need to think about that often and to know that it's true, that we are loved by God. He loved us first. Not because we're lovable, not because we're great, not because we're great skiers but because he wants something, he wants life for us. He wants forgiveness for us. He wants reconciliation for us. Think about those things. We respond to that love with love on the basis of understanding the love that he has and the, what he's done. We also put hope into practice by worshiping. Like, as, as much as like, like love, reflecting on love is about the heart, worship is about the will. Sometimes... I really, I really think that's true. You, you think about that. I think we, we have this expectation. I'm going to tell you something, I-90. You know what? The problem, I think the thing that I, I'm, I'm sort of most excited for 2023 about, for the ch- life of the church, is I think we're going to grow in worship and in prayer. Those are the two things. Like These are, these are the, the muscles we need to stretch, the, the hope we need to kind of practice a little bit more. We need to grow in worship and in prayer. Um, you know, when, when we come and when we gather together, uh, I think sometimes we're like almost waiting for, to have like the right kind of feelings, which, you know, maybe if the, if the band played the right way, we'd have like the right kind of feelings. Like we're, we're waiting for the band to do something for us, to bring about something. But I really think that worship is, and worship is not exclusive to music, but, but worship is really sitting before God and just saying, no, I'm going to take my will and I'm going to say, self, I want you to worship something better than you. It's less about the feelings. It's more about just putting, directing our wills towards God. And so, you know, 
in that respect, it really doesn't matter how good the band is. Thank Jesus we have a great band. Thank you, Danielle, for, for doing all that work. Pastor Danielle, worship leader, and then all the people who serve that, like, like it's, it's great. But don't think that it's the band's job to worship for you. If you want to put your hope into practice, then, then set your will. Then come in here like on a Sunday and just sit down and just say, self, let's just worship God. No matter what's happening here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set my will to understand that, that, that Jesus is king and I am not, and that is a good thing, and so I'm going to do that work. And, and I don't just have to do that in the context of uh, three songs, you know, three songs before the sermon, but I can do that every day. I can put hope into practice by worshiping all day long, every day, by waking up in the morning and saying to myself, self, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put my will, which is normally just kind of wants what it wants, I'm going to intentionally set it to Jesus. I'm going to intentionally set it to, to, to seeking the things that he has called me to more than the things that I'm just naturally inclined to. It's, it's a work of, of curating even, directing the will, bringing my will to the king. That is a, a very practical way in which we practice our hope. And then the last way, um, I, I, I wrote, deny the self, which is such like, so like anti the culture we live in, right? But it's super biblical, and Jesus was super into us denying ourselves. Um, and that's just where we bring our lives to the king. Where we bring everything that we have, it's this work of taking on this new identity. You know what? I would ski all the time if it didn't hurt so much. But she, yeah, because like I, like I like ski, and then like after 30 minutes, I'm like, I'm tired. And then like after an hour, I'm like, I'm sweaty and gross. And I want to I stop. It hurts a little bit. Like coming into this new thing, and, and my, my body says, hey, wouldn't it be better just to go and, you know, take a little break? Right? Like when I start to have these desires, I get a, I get sweaty, I get gross, I get you know, my goggles fog up. It's a problem I have. I start to have all these competing desires as I'm pursuing this 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 goal that I have, right? But but living into and taking on a new identity based on a hope that is that I'm invited into, it, it takes some work. It takes living into and recognizing that the, the that, that that I that I'm called to something. And I think taking on the new identity, practicing this hope that we have, the greatest obstacle to me becoming this new person that I'm invited in to be, called to be, is the fact that my old person doesn't want to be that new person. My old person likes to be out of shape and unable to ski down a hill, right? And likes to not sweat, as my wife, my wife will tell you, I am not a fan of sweating. Um, my old self doesn't want to be that. My new self is called to be something else. The greatest enemy of the new hope, this new identity, putting my hope into practice that I have, is that my, my, my old, is, is that I oftentimes I'm, I'm, have the habit of putting hope in other things. Denial of the self is really this work of dealing with what's going on inside of me and bringing that to Jesus. I, uh, there's a guy named Josh, Joshua Porter. He's got a book out right now, and he talks about denying the self. I thought it was really cool what, what he says. He says this, deny the self, follow Jesus. It's not, as the Buddha assumed, that desire is always uh, inherently bad. 
It's that we are bad at ordering our desires in such a way that they cultivate a lifestyle of self-sacrificial love. Let me read that again. It's that we are bad at ordering our desires in such a way that they cultivate a lifestyle of self-sacrificial love. But imagine a life of desire rightly ordered according to the way of Jesus. There'd be no concern for impressing uh, the others, for status of accumulation or, or accumulation. There'd be no anxiety about money, no tyranny of want, no slavery to lust or greed or laziness. With desire rightly ordered, we learn to see everything uh, good as a gift. Gratitude becomes a way of life. We learn to see other people, friend or foe, as objects of God's affection. And we learn to treat them accordingly. Imagine a person who, like all of us, wanders in and out of the storms of life. They rejoice like anyone would, and they suffer like anyone does. But the true source of their joy and steadiness, their reason for being, is unshakable. This is the life of a person who has given their life away. Putting hope into practice involves this giving your life away to Jesus, to someone greater, someone worthy, someone who loves and has proved that love, someone who is worthy of worship who's proved themselves kind and gentle and gracious and welcoming, who has assured us that as we turn to him, he will not turn away from us, who's opened up himself wide and given of himself, given every part of himself to reconcile us to him, to God. It involves trust, but what we need to do to put hope into practice is to to lean into this identity through denying the old self, getting over my old self. Because the effect that sin has had on me, it's that it has taken my desires, which are not in themselves evil or wrong, but it's made it like, um, N.T. Wright says, it's like a traffic jam. The heart is just like a traffic jam of desires. There's just gridlock in me. But what Jesus does by giving me a new identity, a new person, a new spirit, is he invites me into this new way, the way of Jesus, where my desires can be rightly ordered according to worship, according to a love that he has established, according to the power of the spirit working in me. And so I can take all these desires that are so oftentimes in conflict and I can work them out and he can sanctify and do a new work and have me love the things that I was made to love and put in me the kind of self-control and renewed spirit that will lead to this life in the kingdom that will actually be satisfying where I will say yes Jesus like he's awesome he's present he's here I feel like like he, I'm so close to him all the time even when things are difficult because actually what I've done is I've figured out that this machine this body this this spirit that I have actually can work for his glory it can be a part of his kingdom as he does the work in me and as I put the hope that I have into practice. So I, but I got to deal with my desires. I've got to change my desires and he's enabling me to do that 
by the power of his spirit to rightly order my desires so that actually this body that I have, and this is the remarkable thing. Well, it's not like we get over our bodies in, in terms of like coming to the kingdom. It's actually that our bodies, the way that we're made, actually can be great instruments for glorifying God. As the Spirit comes in us, as he brings new life, as, as we like lean into this new identity, we put hope into practice, he can make us people who are capable of worshiping, who are capable of glorifying him, capable of receiving his kingdom, capable of having a life with God that is satisfying and fulfilling and that is just like a light burning in us, flowing out from us that other people will see and just say, that person doesn't seem like a person. Because they've got all this stuff that most people deal with. It's been worked out in them. That's because those sorts of people have done the work of hope. Setting their life in, rooting their life in the gospel, the love of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the transforming power of Jesus, just responding, walking into that gift, practicing it. So if you are in this spot where you're just saying, ah, Christmas time, what's it for? Like, what am I even waiting here for? Look, at guys, you're not waiting for anything. Jesus has come. The king has come. He's opened up the kingdom wide. Practice the hope that you have. Practice the hope that you have. Don't wait any longer. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for for your promises, for the substance of the hope. Lord, it is, it is serious business, the hope of heaven, Lord, what you've done, what you're doing. Because you give us a way. You give us a way to walk into the kingdom in our midst. Lord, it is the way of repentance. It is the way of trust. It is the way of hope and faith being practiced, Lord. Lord, teach us to to love you, Lord, teach us to worship you, teach us, Lord, to die to ourselves and walk into this new identity that we have in Christ. Lord, let us celebrate you well, behold you well, be transformed by you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's worship the Lord.